Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. I'm Lauren O'Neill. And I'm Nico Bakulich. And let's get biblical. You're just going to leave me hanging on that? Yep. That's, that's my new thing. <laughs> I'm just going to shut up and let you just Talk myself it. into a hole. That's right. All right. Well, um, to start digging that hole, uh, I'm the ex-Christian. I was raised Presbyterian. I'm now an atheist. And I'm reading the New International Version of the Bible. I'm the non-believing sort of Jew. I'm reading the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Also, this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. Also, it's not appropriate for children. And uh, it sometimes talks about, uh, you know, objectionable material, violence, sex, sex violence, etc. Is there anything else we need to talk about? No. Well, there's, there's, I mean... That's it for today's episode of Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Nico. <laughs> There's one important thing, which is that there is a third person in the studio with us today. And she's a writer from Dublin. While living in San Francisco between 2012 to 2015, she wrote the nonfiction book Not Lost, which was published by New Island in 2013. Her essays can be read on The Rumpus, The Irish Times, Midnight Breakfast, where I work, uh, among many other places. She co-hosts the podcast Juvenilia. Her first novel, Spare and Found Parts, just came out from Greenwillow. Sarah Maria Griffin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Nico. Hello. Hello. So you are here in San Francisco for a week promoting this new amazing YA novel. I am. Six days, not even a week. Not even a week. So yeah, we pretty much the second you get your head around jet lag, you have to go back and have a a different kind of time sickness going across the ocean the other way. So it's a little short, but it's amazing to be back. Yay. Yeah. Time sickness really sounds like something that humans shouldn't have. <laughs> oh, it feels like something you shouldn't have as well. It's very, very disorienting. It uh, feels like, yeah, some sort of sci-fi. Yeah. Like if you're traveling to a different planet, you know, and like relativity makes you not age as quickly as you should, then mm-hmm. that's like time sickness. All those Eldrick experiences are definitely things that have happened to me in the last three days. Yeah. It's been very complicated. Uh, and on the way back, it's worse uh, because of the direction that you're going. Mm-hmm. Um, you're Instead of going back in time, you're going forward in time. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why they say never go back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had to, man. I had to go back to the small island. But uh, yeah, it's terrible. Uh, but aside from that, being back is phenomenal. So uh, tell us about your religious background. I was raised Catholic. Um, I am currently agnostic. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as atheist per se. I still have a shred, shred of hope and maybe of naivety left over. I do like <laughs> the idea of uh, a large interstellar presence that takes care of us. Don't know if it has a name or whatever it is, but I like the notion of it. Sounds like moment. it's related to time sickness somehow. Totally, man. Yeah, we're gonna we're, we're gonna be going well down this sci-fi avenue eventually. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I don't know. I I do think that there is a a something. I just don't know if it's ever. I don't even, I don't know if it's ever spoken to us or anything, but yeah, no, raised Catholic, but not, um, not strictly. Uh, Ireland is obviously unclasping the last fingers of the iron fist of the Catholic Church from around <laughs> our culture at present. But uh, most people I know would have been raised a very lackadaisical version of Catholic, maybe mass on a Sunday at a push. Definitely you go on Christmas Eve, but this is, I, I, this is the first time I've ever held a Bible. You know, there, there, there's not much study. It's more just general threat and general shame in order uh-huh. to keep people in order. It's I wouldn't describe it so much as something that's a religious upbringing. I'm not really sure faith ever came into it too much. More just more just cultural fear. Yeah, I mean, making yeah, sure fear. that sure. And, and notions of of like post life punishment. Um. So my family weren't very religious. Uh. Day to day. But I think that they're lapsed Catholics as well. And that lapse lapsed even harder with me where I'm just like, meh, maybe there's something out there. Aliens, I don't know. But um, <laughs> but the Catholic attitudes steep extremely deeply into Irish culture. So even if people aren't practicing, our behavior and our treatment of others is often very heavily informed by a lot of the really uh, negative aspects of Catholicism. Mm-hmm. We don't really meet much of the the raw generosity and acceptance and positivity and kindness that you do see in in certain branches of American Christianity but uh certain branches. yeah sir that's I think that's fair <laughs> um, but you, it's not there's no worship and no praise and no celebration mm. it's very somber and very uh just very fear oriented in my experience yes so and you so you've never read the bible before oh no this is this is I didn't, I didn't realize the pages are so thin 
a lot of them though. yeah they got to fit a lot in there yeah, yeah yeah they really do yeah so you yeah, know we were nobody ever put a bible in front of us there were sort of illustrations of jesus christ and the apostles and lots of songs and we talked about mary uh holy mary mary the mother of jesus not mary magdalene very often uh, like all the t- all the damn time like there are so many festivals and religious days and the calendar is marked with the, the presence of chat about the Virgin Mary, especially in springtime. Um, That's and so interesting. I mean, I know like, I guess Mary is a big deal. I mean, obviously she's a big deal in Catholic. Yo, in Mary's Catholicism. a big deal. Yeah. Not a big deal in Protestantism, but I wonder if that varies by country. I mean, I guess you get a lot of that in like Latin America too. And in Eastern Europe and in Spain. So her presence is really, I'm like obsessed with Mary. Mary's mm-hmm. like, because she was everywhere in my upbringing, like in my, in my childhood bedroom, there was a small closet, not unlike, like, you know, just in the tide of the room um, with books, um, a large rusted fencing sword and a statue of the Virgin Mary. Perfect. What uh, else do you need? What else do you, do you know, it's like in case anything goes wrong, she can just come out with it in her hand. sword, yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and she was always there and I don't, I actually still haven't asked my parents what the story was with the Mary statue in my bedroom. Really? It was never talked about and it was never like. So it's like an elf on the shelf situation. Yeah. <laughs> only it's, only it's the Virgin Mary, mother of God, crying for your sins in your wardrobe every night. Uh, barely audible weeping. But she, um, so her presence is very ubiquitous in Dublin in that like street corners would have a grotto or she'd be like just mounted in the side of a building with some Latin phrase around her. And in my classrooms in school, there were generally one or two statues per classroom. Like I went to a Catholic school. Really? Per classroom? I was taught by nuns. Yeah. So you had to do prayers at the beginning of many of your classes. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee and all this. I have no, I can't even remember. And we had to do them in English and in Irish. So I can do. Can you do it in Irish right now? uh, I can, can I do, oh my God. I could say the words, but I don't know what they mean. So I would be kind of saying emphasized gibberish. So, so there's there's images of Mary everywhere. Are there also images of Jesus? Yeah, you know, he's hanging around too, but predominantly it's Mary. Like there, be, there are grottos that people go to to pray specifically to Mary and kind of have the chats with her. Uh, she is... She's the first, she's sort of the first gal of Ireland, you know, in many ways. Uh, I don't know gal. why people are so, I really wish I knew why people were so obsessed with her. Um, and in this way, I think it's it's the virgin mother thing and the idea that she sort of protects women somehow. And there's lots of very famous stories with terrible things that have happened in the shadow of grottos. Literally people go to grottos to die in, um, Anne Lovett was a young woman in the 70s who went and died. She's 14 and pregnant and she died under, went to give birth under a, a a statue of the Virgin Mary and died there. Like there's a lot of wow. like, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of really powerful and sad things that have happened throughout history in Ireland that are seem just the Virgin Mary just kind of is there. So I'm I'm endlessly suspicious of her and kind of obsessed with her. Like <laughs> I mean she's always watching. So why wouldn't you be always right? yeah. and always listening and or open to listening. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a grotto in the little I live in a little housing estate. Um in uh, in Dublin, and there's a set of flats in in, in the the courtyard between the flats where all the children play, amongst the little playground, there is a just a Virgin Mary statue, a grotto, just chilling, yeah, with like a little saint, a gal having a little prayer to her in white stone, and there's fresh flowers put there every day, and then about five minutes up the street, there's another one. So people, and there's like little benches where people can go and sit and have a chat to her. So she's much more. There's much more focus put on her than there is on Jesus Christ. Do you think it's because she's kind of like more relatable? Like she was... Pregnant teenage mom. (laughs) (laughs) No, Ireland hates them. (laughs) Still does. Uh, Well, speaking of which... Yeah, yeah. Go on, go on. um, You've done a lot of activism recently around the issue of the Eighth Amendment. Yeah. In Ireland. Yeah. Can you explain what that is and what uh, you've been doing around it? So it's when I'm, I lived in America for three years and while I was here, I was very much like on the sidelines and watching a lot of uh, and listening very closely to a lot of really terrific art- artistic uh, activists who were making art in response to a lot of the injustices and political um, travesties that are happening in the state, especially in police brutality and violence. So I did a lot of listening and a lot of learning and unfortunately very little contributing because I you know, was an Irish immigrant. I didn't feel that I had any. Sure. So I did a lot of absorbing and when I went back to Ireland, uh, a referendum had been passed. Uh, it was just two weeks after I got back, a massive historical referendum was passed where the nation voted to implement uh, same-sex marriage. So marriage rights for all. 
and uh, it was phenomenal. And that's what you're protesting, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> it must be stopped at all costs. <laughs> but I came home and it felt like the climate in the nation had moved warmly towards something more loving and more accepting. And of course, the, the Catholic backlash was extremely intense. And there's a lot of right-wing conservative Christian groups that very heavily fund institutions. I'm using smaller quotations because I'm not sure what they're institutions of in Ireland that uh, distribute extremely uh, staunchly Catholic propaganda that were fighting the referendum being put through and Mm -hmm. trying to push for a no who were defeated undeniably. So really there was this climate when I moved back to Ireland that things are changing for the better and we're becoming a more modern and warm and liberal country in terms of how we treat one another and, and the respect that we have for other people. And again, moving away from a Catholic past where the notion of sin and shame was very much a a constant for all of us. And there's this amendment in our constitution that the Catholic Church is present, like a strange specter in the Irish constitution. Sure. Um, I mean, the Protestant Church is a specter in the American one. I mean, that's so. they're, they're intrinsic, yeah. you know. And uh, the Eighth Amendment states that the right of the unborn child is uh, equal to the right of the mother, effectively. So... Effectively, from the moment that you become pregnant, uh, any pregnant person uh, denies or your your human rights become secondary to the fetus that you're carrying. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means no abortion under any circumstances. N- no, none. No exceptions. So in the last few years, uh, there have been some very high profile cases that have made international news because the only way to get anyone in Ireland to do anything is to be shamed because <laughs> that's how we operate like while I was here I was actually an intern at 86 Valencia at the time and that's not a chat you want to have with your fellow interns where you're trying to make friends with people and you're glued to Twitter and watching the women of your country riot because a uh, an Indian woman called Svita Hapalar uh, died uh, during childbirth um, of septicemia uh, because her the, the baby was not going to make it uh, outside the womb and she was very late like she was late like she was heavily pregnant and uh, she started to get septicemia and was denied an abortion and denied a, a termination of the situation that she was in and told to her face uh, that this is a Catholic country. And she died. Um, I think she was in her 30s. She's a dentist. And uh, or was her husband a dentist? So she was like, it doesn't, it kind of, they see, there you go, making excuses for somebody being a successful person who wasn't <laughs> helped. But she, yeah, she died. Um, yes, when I, when I read about that story, I, um, for some reason, the name read as Finnish to me. Yeah, and I was like it's a couple of A's. Yeah, yeah. That her surname is very beautiful. Yeah, and I was like, they let a white woman die. <laughs> they Turns ha- out, no. They also let hell but, white women die. Yeah, it was very white country, largely right. like uh, almost almost comically moving back. I was like, wow, we are a small island. Um, but yeah, it was very uh, very sad, and the women of Ireland revolted. Um, the idea that a woman could be dying in front of you and the doctors will make the choice to let the woman and the child die rather than terminate both, the pregnancy. Yeah, both, yeah, uh, Because this is a country. So in, 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 legislate, like in terms of legislation and law, and in many ways the doctor's hands are tied and you can't make assumptions about doctor's faith, but either way, there are really deep systemic issues around the treatment of pregnant women. And so if you have a fatal fetal, or abnorm- fatal fetal abnormality or uh, are, like if there's, like there's no way that you can procure an abortion in Ireland. Procuring information about uh, or distributing information about an abortion in Ireland is punishable by I think it is 14 years in prison or 11 wow. years in prison. If you get one, it's 11 years. Um, or if you're caught getting one. Um, it's Now what if I don't you... know if anyone goes to jail for it, but this is the threat. Um, because 11 women leave Ireland every day seeking an abortion abroad. Oh, seeking an abortion in the UK, not necessarily seeking one in the rest of Europe, which they do. So it's very... Like it's happening so it's even day. more than that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and yeah. taking pills at home, generally flown in by drone, which is futuristic. By drone. I mean, like contraception was illegal in Ireland until the nineties, and the women used to go get a train from Belfast, which is uh, like in the north of Ireland, which is a different state. They would illegally bring contraception down over the border into the Republic to distribute amongst women. Hmm. Like this. And is, now those those poor women have had their jobs stolen by drones, <laughs> robots. This is what we are here to talk about today. Abortion robots. Abortion robots. Seriously. That, uh, yeah, so there, there are back channels and there are support systems and wonderful groups who provide information and provide support for women who are in crisis pregnancies. Um, and we're trying really hard to get a referendum date set to repeal this amendment in the constitution 
And the last time a vote was taken on it was in 1983. Wow. So there's a whole generation of women who have lived their entire reproductive lives in the shadow of this amendment. And we really, really need it fixed. Like I've never travelled myself. Uh, I've never been in that position. But many, many people I care very deeply about have, including down the line of my family, mm-hmm. generations back. Like it's something that has touched every Irish woman's life, whether she knows it or not. And so you you wrote... Um, like the script for a video. Yeah. Uh, the I work in a small studio with a bunch of filmmakers. So, so I write, write full time because uh, that's a sensible choice. <laughs> and I work in a garage with, populated by filmmakers who are all very busy. So they make me busier by them being busy. Uh-huh. And they called me one night and said, look, we're not doing enough for this. Uh, there was an effort going very strongly in Dublin around drawing attention to the Eighth Amendment and the injustices around it. And they said, look, what would you do something? Would you ever would you write us a poem and we'll turn it into a video? So I said I would. Um, so I wrote this this poem and um, we gathered a hundred odd women of all from all different backgrounds and all different parts of Ireland and all different walks of life uh, and put them on a beach at seven o'clock in the morning and made this two and a half or two minute short film, which uh, we dropped about a month and a half later and everything that was to do with the film was donated by different uh, organisations and different artists and it was uh, really amazing how much you realise that this the Eighth Amendment has touched everybody's lives and that people will come forward to help make things and help draw attention to how desperately and urgently this needs to be repealed. So uh, yeah, it, it, it dropped and it's it's out there swimming around. It's It's women on a beach saying... <laughs> Things about the church. <laughs> well, it's, it, partially it's about the church, but partially it's about the archaic treatment of Irish women and witch hunts, and how that how that affects all of our psyches and bodies. So yeah. So, completely coincidentally, I was just reading about Saint Bridget. Oh, with the cross. Uh, I don't know. Oh, well, that was Jesus with the cross. <laughs> oh no, Saint Bridget has like a little woven. Oh really? Does she? Am I wrong? Oh, um, this is this is the lapsed in the lapsed Catholic uh, that I've got. Uh, well, what did you read about her? Well, I was reading that. Um, I guess she's kind of like syncretized into Christianity from from whatever you know pagan quote unquote Gaelic religion mm. was going on before, um, where she was you know a goddess. It was with the same name, Bridget. Yeah, um, but. What I thought was super interesting about her is that one of the miracles that she performed was uh, when a nun broke her vows of chastity and got pregnant. She performed an abortion on her. She performed a miraculous abortion. Yes, I did. I was only talking about this recently with somebody. That that is, yeah, she was pretty great. (laughs) And I was like, how does this work? Like how in this country that's like so against abortion – where Catholicism is just baked into everything, do you, like, account for a Catholic saint performing a miraculous abortion? The Catholic Church in Ireland don't account for it. <laughs> Nobody interrogates them. They just do what they do. I sound real mad, but I guess I am. Like, <laughs> Good, real. <laughs> I guess I am really grumpy about the church state that we live in. Um the media in Ireland can't critique the church and don't critique the church. There's can't a lot of money. legally or just can't in many, culturally? In, uh, in, just during referendums, they can't because there has to be balance. So both sides of every referendum have to be given equal airtime. Um, even if one side are like, literally gay people should not be allowed to get married, uh-huh. which was last year. Um, <laughs> but generally people are very uh, in uh, very state, uh, state media and things like that are very, very hesitant to critique the church in any manner. I'm really not sure. Still like, why but um, that doesn't surprise me that it's tied to the the pagan and religious things mm-hmm. like the mystic Ireland before the yeah. church uh, but that's one of the stories that you don't get told in class hmm. you know that there are these that there are these amazing threads of extremely powerful ferocious kind women linked into the church but they just kind of get swatted away and, uh, but not completely, never completely. No, never completely. Yeah. But you would never, like, I, I would never have heard of, like, I mean, heard of her, but I would never have been told that story under mm-hmm. any circumstances. And I went to two very, very Catholic schools. So I guess it's like a bit like the Dead Sea Scrolls and stuff like that. And like one the of what? these, the, is, it, is it the Dead Sea Scrolls? Oh, or the Dead the, Sea Scrolls. Yeah, yeah. And like the, these weird 
offshoots mm-hmm. of the church. Different versions that... Saints who are saint-ish. Yeah. And that are very regionally specific. And uh, it doesn't help to... Well, there were, they were concessions huh? by the church to whatever the local religion was. Yeah, like, you, can't get, yeah. you get to keep your gods. Like the patronage, I'm looking here, the patronage of uh, St. Bridget is uh, babies, blacksmiths, boatmen, brewers, brewers, <laughs> cattle, chicken farmers, children whose parents were not married, children with abusive fathers, children born into abusive unions, dairy maids, dairy workers, fugitives, infants, Ireland, just all of Ireland. Yeah, just Leinster, which is the province I'm from. Uh, mariners, midwives, milkmaids, nuns, poets, whoop, <laughs> poor, po- the poor, poultry farmers, poultry raisers, printing presses. I was going to also say cattle, just cattle. So just like cattle. the actual, the yeah. cows, yeah. their patron saint. Is yeah, it's St. Bridget. Bridget. When they pray. Right. Yeah. I don't know, man. Who Ireland will protect and... them? St. Bridget. This is what I mean when I say Irish Catholicism has so little to do with the Bible. It's a strange, it's a, like it's a colonial force. I mean, like I said before, a small island, lots of influences. And uh, Catholicism in Ireland is, you know, it's, it's something that in many ways held us together while we're being colonized by the British. Like it's a sense of community that people get from it, but it is threaded very, very deeply in and it, or it grew more fearful and more shame oriented as time kind of passed. But uh, our folklore is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like giants, uh, talking dogs. No, no, we're not here to talk about like, interesting things. This is <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I know, I'm going to go home now and return an oak again. But, uh, and I'm sure that there's a bleed through that. Like similarly to like Our Lady of Guadalupe, you know, you sure, sure, yeah. with the snakes under her, more cool Marys, you know, that yes, there is a, yeah. that there is definitely a pagan streak through her presence in, in, in Mexico. So similarly, some of our saints And you'll have, find, yeah, different versions of that all throughout Latin America. Yeah. And again, we're not that, I mean, Jesus, are we dissimilar, but also we are very similar. Yeah. Like, so there are common threads, but I just think that there, there's just no joy in ours. It's very somber. And uh, I think that's probably where, I mean, if it was a bit more crack, I'd probably <laughs> be, um, be a bit more positive. Still be into it, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of a lack of joy, <laughs> um, it's about time we actually take a break. We've yeah. done so much excellent work on the Bible so far. We oh. deserve the break. So when we come back, we'll reveal what Bible book we're talking about this week. <laughs> and then we'll talk about it. You can hear some music and then we'll be right back. This is Sunday School Dropouts. Bye. Bye. Welcome back to Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Nico. I'm Lauren, and we have with us in the studio Sarah Griffin. How's it going? So today <laughs> we're talking about the Book of Obadiah. Yeah, I, I, sorry to all of the the diehard Obadiah fans. We call them Obadiahards. Obadiahards. <laughs> Obadiaharder. <laughs> we should Obadiahard with a vengeance. Um, and then I think it was Obadiahard just again. Just again. <laughs> We haven't talked about the book at all because it's two pages long. It's like not even two pages. Yeah. It's like uh, basically one page. Right. And we want to give it as much attention as it deserves, which is very little. Approximately one third of the show. Um, it's the shortest book in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's so short, we're going to do something that we've never done before. <laughs> and we're just going to read the whole thing out loud. Yeah. It starts the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise and let us go against her for battle. 
See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves come to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. On that day, says the Lord, I will destroy the wise out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau. Your warriors shall be shattered, O Taman, so that everyone from Mount Esau will be cut off. For the slaughter and violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aside, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were like one of them. But you should not have gloated over your brother on the day of his misfortune, but you should not have rejoiced over the people of Judah on the day of their ruin. You should not have boasted on the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people on the day of their calamity. You should not have joined in the gloating over Judah's disaster on the day of his calamity. You should not have looted his goods on the day of his calamity. You should not have stood at the crossings to cut off his fugitives. You should not have handed over his survivors on the day of distress. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance and it will be holy and the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble and they will set it on fire and consume it. And there will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau and the people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria and Benjamin will possess Gilead. The company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zapareth. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Shepard will possess the towns of Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion and to govern the mountains of Esau and the kingdom will be the Lord's. There you go. So that's the entire book of Obadiah. And basically what it's about, if you couldn't tell, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, is about the neighboring nation of Edom, which is supposed to be the descendants of Esau. Jacob's brother. Jacob's brother Esau. Jacob stole Esau's birthright, Mm -hmm. if you uh, recall from the book of Genesis. Using Um, a clever ruse involving a goat skin. Well, there were two clever ruses. Okay. So first, when Esau was super hungry... Mm -hmm. He offered to swap him a bowl of lentil stew for his birthright. Right. And then in addition to that, he covered himself with a goatskin to make himself seem hairy like Esau. And he went to their father, Isaac, and said, yeah, it's me, Esau. I'm here to get my birthright. Give me your deathbed blessing, which yeah, was like your... the most powerful blessing that a father could give at that time. And Isaac That was... still may be true. I'm not sure <laughs> how that ranks on like the power rankings of blessings right now. But anyway. I mean, it's probably still up there. Okay. And then Isaac was like, uh, well, you sound like Jacob, but when I feel you, you feel like a goat, like Esau. <laughs> <laughs> Isaac was old and blind at this point. Um, and so then he gave Jacob his blessing. Um, and so then the descendants of Jacob are, you know, Jacob was also called Israel. So his descendants are the Israelites and Esau's descendants are the Edomites. Um, the but weird- then after that, Jacob spent his whole life in fear that Esau would come for him for his, for his inheritance. Yeah. So the weird thing is like Jacob, like his mom, Rebecca was like, yo, I don't want you to, I don't want Esau to get revenge on you. So she sent him away where he, you know. Married Rachel and Leah and, you know, eventually had 12 kids, et cetera, et cetera. And then he came back to Canaan and he was afraid of Esau and he was like ready to do battle. Mm -hmm. And Esau was like, yo, it's cool. We're brothers and welcomed him back. However, for some reason, their descendants are enemies. (laughs) Right. I think it's the paranoia of Jacob that that got passed down and was like, Edom will one day turn against us. It's also kind of like the... um, what do you call it? The narcissism of small differences or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like to a Greek, 
those are the same people. Right. Right. They're all living in Canaan. They're all Canaanites. They're yeah, they're living in like 50 square miles. Yeah. Yeah. But then to the Israelites and the Edomites, they're extremely different, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> and they're enemies forever. Again, as in the other 12 minor prophets and and the major prophets as well. Mm-hmm. We're seeing some apocalyptic language. Uh, we've got the day of the Lord is near for all nations. And, you know, so, you know, each each minor prophet has their own flavor, kind of, right? Like mm-hmm. strawberry banana. Uh, uh, yeah. Kiwi. Pistachio. Melon pomegranate. And, of course, locust. Grass. <laughs> Matcha. Matcha, yeah. Fire. Salted caramel. Oh, <laughs> uh, Brown rice hickory. Wow. That sounds terrible. Totally would eat it. Totally would. Um, so this one, you know, this one's kind of a anti-Edom flavor. Mm-hmm. But it's still focused on the coming day of the Lord when all the sinners are going to get punished and all the righteous people are going to get rewarded. Um, did you read anything about when this was written? I did not. I read this in about five minutes. <laughs> And I didn't really take any notes. You'd have to take. Yeah, I mean, you have to work pretty hard to read it in more than five minutes. I yeah, think. you'd have. You'd really have to go into it. I mean, I did read like all the footnotes in my Bible, which took maybe an extra in the look. Bible for boys. Oh yeah. Okay. Here. So Sarah, Sarah's holding our our uh, skateboard scorpion Bible. It's amazing. It said the book in the little fact sheet about Obadiah. The last question is, when was this book written? And the answer is, in fact, no one knows for sure when Obadiah was written. So there's no answer to that question. I mean, that's true. Like most Bible. of the Bible, mm-hmm. but. For some, we seem to like pretend like we know. Well, the more information it, it has in it, the more like I could see how it would be easier to date it. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, some of them do reference like historical events, so you know it was like written after that or whatever. This one was written in it in probably about three chunks. There was there's an original, really old part of the prophecy. Oh, really? Which is the part that mostly concerns Edom at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a second piece of the prophecy that was probably written post-exilic, where some of the language was reused and some talk about the Babylonian exile was inserted mm-hmm. um, to sort of update the ap- apocalyptic prophecy. And there's a third part that's probably from the Maccabean period mm-hmm. that references uh, Jews in exile in places that they weren't in exile in until that period. For example, in Greece. Right. Or in a place that's only mentioned in this book of the Bible. Really? Sephirod. Oh, okay. So Sephirod, my, um, my Bible's footnotes said... That it's either – it's usually taken to refer to Sardis in present-day Turkey, um, though something that Sparta, the city in Greece, might be meant. Yeah, or but people, in, people connect it to Spain as well. In modern Hebrew, Svarad means Spain. That, um, that was the, that's the really old interpretation for it. In some cases, going – like old rabbis translated it as like Hispania. And that's like, you know, when you talk about like Ashkenazi Jews and Sephardic Jews, mm-hmm. it's because Sephardic is they're from Sephardad, which is Spain. Right. That's the part of the book that people think was probably written in the Maccabean period because it's most likely someplace in Greece or in the Near East somewhere that the Jews probably hadn't reached, hadn't reached in great numbers until later on in their history. So that's that's like all the history about Obadiah that there is. Um. What else do we have to say about Obadiah? I don't know. There's some good lines in here. I was about to say, the language is beautiful. Make your nest among the stars. No problem. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, but you got to keep your feet on the ground. Nah, man. I'm <laughs> up there. That's cool. Uh, soar like an eagle and make your nest among the stars. That sounds like a real good Hallmark line. Uh, absolutely would let her press that into an expensive greeting card. Um, <laughs> it's real mad. You know? That's probably where the Steve Miller band got that line. Fair. Oh, my God. Hold. Hold out. She can. There was another one there that was real good. Utterly disp- I know even like the, t- the pairings of words are really pretty. It's maybe, I, th- I think the version that I have is ever so slightly different to the versions that you guys have. You have the same version as I do. Do you? Okay. Different from Nico's. There, there you got, your one used catastrophe a few more, calamity a few more times mm-hmm. than my one. But the languages are great. Like the last word in every line here is destruction, trouble, disaster, calamity, wealth, disaster, crossroads, fugitive, survivors, trouble. Like it's uh, not, ver- not verbose necessarily, but it's a, uh, like, it's pretty. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect it to be pretty. It becomes a little less pretty when you've read the same thing yeah, <laughs> five, five times in a row. But it is, I mean, it is like, I think it hangs together as poetry better than some of the other, like, 
uh, apocalyptic poetry that we've read. I agree that the, the structure of the poetry is pretty nice. Yeah. Weirdly, it's got a cadence to it, which you don't expect. You Especially know? in like translation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was joking being like, I'm going to read this like a slam poem, but it kind of <laughs> reads itself like a slam poem mm-hmm. because it has that vibe off it, you know? Um, I will make you small among the nations and you'll be utterly despised. Like, like that's got like a, a ring to it nearly. It's horrible. It's horrible to say to anybody. But it's uh, it's got a it's got a ring to it. To live Not in the to these sinners, the you know. No. These heathens. Yeah. I like the house of Jacob shall be a fire, the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. Stubble. I That's, like that. Ugh. Yeah, that is that. Even a line in general is the house of Joseph will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. Like that's deadly. You know, there's some rock and translator going here. I mean, again, it's a pretty horrible book. It's just like stop liking yourself. <laughs> stop liking yourself. God's today, burn it all down. Just he's coming for you. You're gonna get punished. Nothing belongs to you, um, which is a terrible thing. But it's again one of these secret things that trickles down. It you know, like I've never seen this book before, but I've definitely been told that to uh-huh. by many educators throughout my <laughs> life in school. The boys' Bible has a little um, uh, a little call out. Yeah, a little call out in it, which has a small. Um, uh, I'm totally gonna tweet this picture as well because it's my favorite. Please, so these, I'm. I'm I have to buy this book. It's the best thing. So I'm going to start an Instagram account of just like facts just from the, the boys' Bible. Skateboard Scorpion Bible. Yeah. Oh my God. Skateboard Scorpion Bible. At Skateboard Scorpion Bible. <laughs> Don't at me. Um, the You've gets, heard the Poison Word Bible. Now, <laughs> check out the Get story. ready for. You don't know what's coming. But the the Get Stronger little call out in it, which has a little, like not an emoji, but a small illustration of a bicep holding a, a dumbbell, says... The people of Edom thought they were it, capital I-T, it. Sometimes we feel that the way we're, sometimes we feel that way because we're great at sports or get good grades. Know what that is? Pride. It's pride. And guess what? God hates pride. He hates it. A lot. A lot is in italics. (laughs) Why? It messes up our mind. God said, the pride of your heart has deceived you, verse three. We start thinking we are number one, N, capital N, capital O, number one, that we are the greatest and that keeps us from loving God and others the way God wants us to. It also makes us treat people badly. When you're tempted to think you are hot stuff, stay cool and be humble. That's what God loves. Remember, your talents are a gift from God. Make the best of them, enjoy them, but don't get puffed off about them. While you're at it, encourage others to make the most of their gifts too. So speaking of apocalyptic poetry, Sarah, your new novel, Spare and Found Parts, mm. takes place after an apocalypse. Yeah. How do you feel about apocalypses and uh, how does that color your reading of Obadiah? I feel like I, I feel like they're gen- generally pending is how I always feel about them. I'm fairly fatalistic, I think. I don't, I'm probably like a lifetime of reading science fiction and playing video games has made me a little bit, you know, not necessarily optimistic, but uh, yeah, the the world that Spare and Found Parts is set in, it's, Ar- it's Ireland. It's a post-apocalyptic Ireland. It's not even post-apocalyptic because I feel like that's one of those dreadful publishing terms that everybody kind of goes, oh, like the Hunger Games? And you go, no, not at all. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a healed world. It's long enough after the end that people are sort of. And not to derail it totally, but we're living in a post-apocalyptic world right now. I mean, like, according to the Bible, several apocalypses have happened. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, but, like, there are so many trappings of the, like, the end of the world touches us all the time. Yeah, and, I mean, it's interesting. You're like, you know, oh, I read a lot of sci-fi, I play a lot of video games, so I think about the end of the world a lot, or, like, apocalypses. But, like, clearly that was a preoccupation Oh, it's always for I mean, it's people way before sci-fi always. or video games existed. You know, that's, like, this, the Bible, a huge part of the Old Testament is completely fixated on the apocalypse. But I think there's something, there must be something extremely relieving about the notion that God could kind of capricious, be capricious and be like, oh, you are all, you say fuck too much, you're, mm, you kiss people, I don't want you to kiss because they're the same gender as you, you are very prideful. All the things that you hear that God doesn't like through deeply religious channels. And he goes, actually, you know what? Too much. World's over now. <laughs> World's over now. You fucked it up. That's what I told you was going to happen. As opposed to mankind ending the world ourselves. Mm. The, right. the handing over of responsibility for our treatment of, of each other and our ethical engagement with culture and the world around us, let alone with nature and with the planet we live on. Right. So like that's our like, behavior. It's, it's just like, at, I mean, you know, I'll tell you whose fault it is the world is going to end. It's, um, it's the gals who kiss other gals. It's their fault. <laughs> it's not me or how right. we treat society or culture it says oh this sin is the end of the world not mankind's 
bottomless thirst for power and control over the environment we live in. Right. So that's your book is like the the apocalypse, quote unquote, is like has to do with global warming. Right. So no, it's it's, a, it's technology. It's technology. Yeah. But Global warming is present. Like, it, like is, present. it has done okay. something to Ireland in that the topography has changed. Like the landscape is a warmed landscape. And the the large national park that we have where the base of the, the, the text happens is a swamp. We don't have swamps in Ireland. We're freezing right, right. cold. But I was right, like, right. maybe that. Was but now it's, a, now it's a sunny beach paradise, right? Well, it's like, a, <laughs> it's like a, a warm, like swampy. It's like Florida kind of. Yes. And there's frogs everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And like, like there's frogs that. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah. And so there's like this event in the book called The Turn. Yeah. So um, Irish people have a really long history of when a national in, an international crisis happens, giving it a cute name. Uh-huh. Like World War Two, our media called The Emergency. Uh, which is an understatement of <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah. and uh, we have had an unfortunate uh, Jesus. That sounds that's that's another understatement. We had an on, there was ongoing uh, civil unrest around the north and the south, which we called the Troubles, right. which was all out war at certain times. Absolutely, and internal terrorism and extreme violence both sides. It was a disaster, like it was genuinely, and it went on well into the nineties. Like this isn't old history; right. this is live history. I actually and think the Troubles is not. Like, I don't think that downplays it. I think that yeah. makes it more unsettling. It's pretty sinister. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. So we are, you know, very fond of giving cutesy names, well, not cutesy, but giving names that are unrelated to the cause or the thing that's happening, like renaming the great thing. So the turn, like, so in Ireland, if somebody gets a bit sick, you say, oh, you know, or if, if somebody passes away quite suddenly, oh, you know, your, your grandmother took a turn. And the t- to take a turn is to quickly expire or quickly become sicker in, in our general parlance. So... Yeah, uh, the country gets wicked sick, wicked quick because of, sick, wicked uh, quick. that was an accident, but it sounded not bad. Uh, the, um, I don't know, part of it, not my technophobia, but my acute awareness of the presence of technology in our day-to-day lives. Uh, like, because, you know, we've all got these beautiful little Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxies on us at all times and Apple Watches and undeniably within 10 years we'll be implanted with something. I'm sure it's happening already. So... The, what causes the turn is the presence of implants among certain classes of people is met with uh, a distrust and an anger from small right wing fractions of religious organizations who, this is where it gets wicked sci fi, uh, release a toxic electromagnetic pulse across the country which poisons and murders the vast population, everyone except the very, very young, the very, very old, the, and the very, very poor. And like the, un, the unmodified, the non-transhuman, the non-trans exactly, yeah. And the uh, airplane, four hundred airplanes fall out of the sky because um, that's what happens when it when an electromagnetic pulse happens. And I, I did, I did so much fun reading and was like, this is a proper disaster. <laughs> so uh, people's limbs rot off effectively. Uh, the people who survived um, were left without limbs, and they're they're like miss a, a part missing of their body. And uh, the generation that comes out come after them are left with that uh, difference. That legacy of... Yeah, that legacy of... Missing body parts. And had the cost of uh, handing... of of basically voluntarily becoming a cyborg of some description. So... You know, I'm thinking... It's like, it's an interesting distinction that you've drawn, like the man-made apocalypse versus the, the Judgment Day apocalypse. I hadn't really thought of that. You know, we've... We've talked about the apocalypse a lot on this podcast because mm-hmm. it comes up over and over again. And I mean, I think about the end of the world due to global warming mm. every day. I mean, you feel it when you walk outside, right? Yeah. You know? I mean, and you look at the news stories, you know, and it's like, oh, the ice caps are melting. Like The coral reef is dead. Yeah. This is the, the hottest year on record. You know, like every month this year has been the hottest month it's on record rising, in human history. Rising. And- so I'm thinking about those two different versions of the apocalypse a lot, but I had never thought to draw a distinction between them. You know, we've talked about like, what is the value of um, imagining the apocalypse? And like, we've talked about a lot of different possibilities for that. Like, mm-hmm. um, but I guess one that I hadn't considered was like, what if humans are going to end the world? And the fantasy is that God will end the world. I see. What if you, so by displacing blame for the end of the world? Yeah. Like what if humans are going to end the world and it's meaningless Uh and it's just, it's just mass death for no good reason. Right. And the fantasy is. This was God's will. This was God's will. And, and it's actually 
for a very good reason. That's, concern, that's, but that's exactly the story. That is the Babylonian exile. Right. Yeah, it is. But I had never... But my concern is that men will do it in the name of God with deliberation. Right. And exert mass uh, punishment on folks who do, they disagree with. I mean, in many ways, we see it every day in the news and the treatment of folks who want to stay in power against people they believe to be a threat to them, be it folks of color in America or in the, way, in the police state. And we see, we see this with this belief that what they are doing is right. Right. That they are doing the good work. That's, that is, that yes. is fucking biblical. It is. And it's very that is very hard to reconcile with any notion of a, of a forgiving kind god and i think the intersection of where man meets faith and man's relationship i mean man like as whole as a whole with god is the idea that we are divine creatures doing his bidding and the very binary notions of right and wrong i'm a big believer in the vast gray space mm-hmm. like fuck binary notions of good <laughs> and evil like there is a lot of chaos out there and like i mean even day to day like, really, I I think there are many ways to approach many things. And I think binary notions of right and wrong are not helpful to anybody. Nuance is vital. Gray is vital. But I think that those, I, I, again, I feel like I've used the word archaic like nine times, but this is all I Talking have. Talking about the Bible, it's this archaic. Is real talk that archaic notions of good and evil intrinsically tie back, especially in countries like America and especially in countries like Ireland, to this notion of a vengeful God who will judge you for doing bad and reward you for doing good. So you better do good against other people who God might be judging. Do good in his name. Mm -hmm. And that takes away the blood on your hands. So I think it may be time to rate this book. I agree. Nico, what would you rate this book? I would give this book 75 out of 111 (laughs) Days of Calamity. All right. Uh, Would you care to explain that rating? Sure. It's... uh... A pretty nice poem, nicely structured, good language. It has a very specific prophecy about Edom. I like specificity in these prophecies. I Mm -hmm. think they work better the more specific they are. I I don't know what the overall message is really, I guess, except (laughs) that like Edom laughed at Jerusalem's fall and now they're going to get theirs. I guess, yeah, you know, pride goeth, et cetera. Pride (laughs) pride goeth before and et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I can get down with that. You know, I don't really have any super strong feelings about it besides it it was pleasant enough as far as apocalyptic prophecy goes. So 75 out of 111. I think I'm going to give it about five out of 10 uh, grape pickers. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I agree. It was nice and coherent. It was nice and short, which was very much appreciated. Um, but having read apocalyptic poetry for weeks and weeks now, it's kind of, it doesn't give me a whole lot that I haven't already read. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what would you rate it? I'm going to rate it 2.5 uh, nests of stars. Out of? Five. Out of five. Yeah. That's the same as my rating, but... Uh, smaller. But smaller. Uh, in, in a, it's in a TripAdvisor format. <laughs> okay. Because okay. we've gone so many places. Uh, there, there are a lot of countries listed in this. So one How many dollar stars, signs does it get? Oh... Probably not very many, given that most of it's on fire. Uh, so, <laughs> Good time to visit. Uh, yeah, off right? Season. Real estate off, is off through season, the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Off season. Um, but uh, I'm giving it one star for Soar Like an Eagle and Make Your Nest Among the Stars. It's mm-hmm. the most important one. It's gorgeous. I'm giving them one star for Make Your Home on the Heights, because I really like that. And I'm giving them 0.5 of a star for The House of Jacob Will Be a Fire and The House of Joseph a Flame. And that's all they get, because the rest of it is about being mean to people. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is uh, the end of our Obadiah episode. Absolutely. Um, Sarah, where can people find you on the internet? I live on Twitter at Grifsky. My Instagram, which has lots of pictures of my enormous cat who's like the size of a dog. Oh my God, your cat is amazing. He has big creepy yellow eyes and a mouth that's almost always open. Uh, Do you want us to curse your cat real quick? Oh my God, please do. (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. Um, Wait, what's his name? Moriarty. Moriarty. Moriarty, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. There will be no survivors from the house of Moriarty. <laughs> I love this. Take that, The Mo. deeds that he has done, including like knocking full bottles of red wine off of a counter. Like This is, this is what we're saying. Cats deserve curses. All of his dinner parties. <laughs> we all know future. that Mars needs moms and cats need curses. Both are true. Mm-hmm. As true today as they were when they were first written. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. So he's all over my Instagram, which is at Sarah Grifsky. Um, 
And you can find Spare and Van Parts in anywhere that books are sold in North America. Spare and Van Parts, beautiful YA novel, post-apocalyptic, robots. Retelling of Frankenstein. Retelling of Frankenstein. Retelling of Frankenstein. And just uh, cool, cool vibes all the way through. Thank you. It's a slightly, slightly weird book. That's like that should be on the cover. I'm sorry. <laughs> a this slightly, is a slightly weird, weird book. This is slightly weird. Good luck. <laughs> um, you can find our podcast on Twitter at at Sunschool Drop, um, and it's also on Facebook. You can search for Sunday School Dropouts or you know, facebook.com slash sunschooldrop. Our website is sundayschooldropouts.lol. You can send us email, especially photos and descriptions of cats who need to be cursed to contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol. Um, we, as always, thank Elise Carlton for our beautiful logo and thank Nico for all of our sound engineering, editing, and original music. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, thanks again to Sarah for joining us today. Thank you so much, Nico. All the best of luck on your tour. It. Thank you. And with the time sickness, as always. Oh, time sickness. <laughs> and uh, that's that's it. That's it. We will see you on Sunday. Bye. Bye.